Okay, guys, usually we get right into the show, but I wanted to take just a minute to talk to you. First of all, officially, the show is now in our 16th year. Thank you for being here. A number of you have said that you would like to support the show. Well, now you can. If you've ever gotten enjoyment or inspiration, consider becoming a patron. Just go to patreon.com slash the Paul Leslie Hour, or you can go to thepaulleslie.com and you should see that link. Just click on it where it says become a patron. All right, now let's get into the show. The Paul Leslie Hour, helping people tell their stories. And now, your host, Paul Leslie. Hey, it's me. Our special guest, Don Schlitz, has been called one of the greatest songwriters of our time. A singer, performer, and recording artist, he's an inductee in the Country Music Hall of Fame and the Nashville Songwriters Hall of Fame, as well as the Songwriters Hall of Fame in New York. Countless artists from Alabama, Randy Travis, Reba McIntyre, George Strait, and of course Kenny Rogers have recorded his work. In fact, his song, The Gambler, recorded by Kenny Rogers, was selected to be preserved in the National Recording Registry by the Library of Congress for being culturally, historically, or artistically significant. I think most of all, though, the songs of Don Schlitz are loved by people. They know these songs. Don Schlitz, thank you very much for making the time to speak with me. Hey, thanks, Paul. You know, that I don't I don't really do a whole lot of interviews, but you wrote a very nice, kind note. And, uh, of course, I've listened to a couple of your shows and thought, well, you know what? It's it's time to talk a little bit. And uh, you seem like a good person to, to talk to. It's very nice. to we're, we're seeing each other over Skype, so we're not sitting across the table. But it's kind of like the 21st century version of that, right? <laughs> it's, it's, it's truly like science fiction. If you think it about is. it, <laughs> but here we are. Thank you very much. I had all these labels that I put on you: singer, <laughs> songwriter, recording yeah. artist. Who is Don Schlitz at heart? Uh, you'd have to ask somebody else for that. I came to Nashville from from Durham, North Carolina, when I was twenty years old, and I, I didn't really know that there were different labels that could could divide up and so easily is you know I, I i made up songs i sang songs i wanted to sing songs for people and i thought that it was all the uh the all the same thing so that's what i did i i, I did the most important thing a songwriter could do when i was 20 years old i got a job and i was a computer operator <laughs> and i was the all-night computer operator at vanderbilt university is what i had done more or less when I was at Duke University in my hometown of Durham. And I attended Duke for three wonderful freshman semesters, as we say. And uh, then it was decided that I should go find out who the real Don Schlitz was. I'm still looking for that one, by the way. You know, I think like everybody else, you have your, your, your everything that's led to the point that you're living right then. You know, there's a a person, a, a, a man of a certain age sitting here, I'm 67 years old, who's had uh, 47 years in Nashville. I've been hopefully a a good friend, a a good colleague, attempted to be uh, a performer, but I found out pretty fast that 
what I really uh, did best was to just write songs. I have a very, evidently I've been told a short attention span. It goes about three hours. I saw a quote just happened to last night by Roger Miller that said the human brain is an amazing thing that it starts the minute you're born and it stops the minute you sit down to write a song. <laughs> now, for me, I, I laughed at that because, whoa, that's almost the opposite for me sometimes because it it's like it's never going and it turns out that it's been going all, all along. So I think that having grown into an understanding of oneself, which is one of the one of the purposes of, of being alive or one of the, you know, in, in retrospect purposes of being alive, I found that I, I, I really like people. I have thoughts and ideas that have been formed by the people I've known along the way, and I want to communicate them. I like to see people smile and laugh. Sometimes the quickest way to a smile is through a tear. And I'm all those all those things, as well as, you know, I have a, a, a wonderful personal life. And fortunately, as a someone who spent, you know, 30, 40 years sitting down daily and trying to write, I wrote fairly quickly, even in collaborations, and wanted to get home and get on with the the other the other the other parts of me. And you know, I like to say now that that I'm in so-called semi-retirement. That while I have you know all these songs that I'm still playing and I still write, I also mow the lawn. I do the dishes. I do the laundry. I like to go do the recycling, and uh, you know, go to Costco. Make sure we have enough paper towels. You know, <laughs> I, I I love being alive. Every day is a gift. I love people most. Most everybody, I know I love everybody and I like most everybody. <laughs> and I enjoy all the time that I've been given to be part of this this wonderful circus that we all live in. Did that answer any of your questions? <laughs> yes. You only asked one question. I think I gave you 41 answers. That's going to be how this goes, Paul. I'm just, you know, I'm one of those quiet people that won't shut up. <laughs> I liked your answer. When you came to Nashville, if you could take us back, what was it like through your eyes? What were you thinking? What were you seeing? How did you take all that in? I got off the bus in April of 1973. I came to Nashville because I knew that there was a, a record business here. And I knew there also was one in, in New York and Los Angeles. And I figured maybe Chicago. But I only had $80. So I got a bus ticket to uh to Nashville. I had a friend who was uh, the late Dennis Bryan, who was a student at Vanderbilt. And he had said, hey, if you're ever in Nashville, drop by. Well, little did he know that that I would drop by his dorm early one morning when I arrived. And the good folks in that dorm uh, put me up for about a month. I got a job at Vanderbilt as a computer operator, like I said. This was the biggest town I'd ever, I'd ever been in. It was a town then. Truly, it was a town on its way to becoming a city, but in no way, shape, or form the metropolis that it is now. But uh, Durham, where I came from, was about 80,000 people at the time, and, and Nashville was four or five times larger. I'd never seen anything like this. And to even think for a second that I was prepared to uh, go into the music business was, was ludicrous, absolutely ludicrous to everyone except me. Now, I had 
in a sense, no choices. I had nothing else I was qualified to do. I had uh, had the, the great joy of my girlfriend breaking up with me. And so I had no reason reason to uh, to stay in Nashville. My family still lives there. I stay in Durham. I'm sorry. My family still lives there, of course. And uh, it was time for me to move on and find out who I was. Now, then we go to, to what I thought I should do. Well, here I was, 20 years old. I had hair uh, halfway down my back and having a, a, a great sense that there was nothing that wasn't possible because I hadn't thought it through, I guess. And I had been told enough times that don't do that. Just don't do that. You know, like it, almost from Durham, the great irony uh, being from Durham was, was you can't go to Nashville and, be a, and, and write songs and stuff because John D. Loudermilk did. I'm like, you're saying John D. Loudermilk did come from Durham and became a great songwriter in Nashville. Therefore, I can't. Did we have a quota? I'm not <laughs> sure. So I figured I would just start knocking on doors. I got a hold of a phone book. The one name I knew in the phone book in the music business had that uh, I could find as far as having a publishing company, which I didn't really know what that was, but was Pete Drake. Now, Pete Drake was a great steel guitar player, and he had played, I knew his name from the album John Wesley Harding that Bob Dylan recorded, which was one of my favorite albums. Uh, now I think it would be considered a country album, sort of a folk album at the time. And uh, I thought that the writing was just brilliant. It was a very sparse album and it was it was it was what i like now i'm from durham so i have listened to every type of music in the world we talk about that as as much as you want that there was no real difference between country and r&b and pop it was all in the same radio station remember the times that was when we had real broadcasting so i i went to pete drake music and there was a uh, gentleman there who had just started he told me named buzz rabin now, Buzz was a terrific songwriter, first songwriter I guess I ever met who was professional. And I played three or four songs for him. And he was very kind to me. And he says, well, I just started here. But let me see if I can call somebody. This He says, I don't really know what I'm doing here yet, but but I like what you're you're doing. Uh, and I'm thinking, well, I'm yeah, I'm going to be his big break, right? <laughs> Total, the ego of, of the, the child that doesn't know what he's doing yet. And he makes a phone call for me and sets up an appointment. A couple of days later, I go to this appointment. I walk in the front door over on 16th Avenue. And the uh, gatekeeper woman there says, uh, is anybody listening to songs? And this man who was eight, seven, eight years older than me, which was a, you know, a lot to me at the time, curly hair, wire room glasses comes out and says, oh, I know about this. And he comes out and and I uh, he says come back and get my guitar out of the heavy case and yeah I've got a it's a it's it's April I've got a corduroy shirt on I'm it's really hot and I don't have a car so I'm just walking everywhere so I start playing songs these songs I have and he says oh that's okay we'll play play another we'll play another that's nice play another so I played nine or ten songs and I think that it is all happening right then and right there and I am this guy's big break. Well, this guy says, I want to show you what I'm doing. He takes me into the next room. He says, this is just a, you know, it's a, a B-side. It's a small label. It's a friend of mine singing it. And uh, I'm thinking, lucky you for, for meeting me. <laughs> and 
he pulls out the single and I didn't think it was a, a consequential record because it wasn't on an album because it was just a single. It was just a B side. Well, the uh, record label that was the little record label was JMI records. The singer that was a friend of his was named Don Williams. <laughs> the song that was the B side that he played for me was Amanda, which he, as you now can guess, Bob McDill had written by himself. He did not mention that he'd also written the A-side, Come Early Morning, which was the number one song in America at the time. And they were about to flip it, and Amanda was about to become yet another Bob McDill all-time great. I'm standing there thinking, I've got a lot to learn. How lucky am I? <laughs> and so the first few years I was here, the, the only people that would see me were McDill and every once in a while, Buzz Rabin, who also, and I have to say this, was so kind as he wrote Buku's of Blues. I know you've interviewed him on your show and so many other songs. Alcohol of Fame was one of my total favorites. And if it was good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for me. I don't know what the title of that one was, but I'll always remember that song. <laughs> it's like, well, I, you know, I always, I always laughed to myself. So, oh, well, the Bible's in English. If that was good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for me. Anyway, the point being that Buzz knew that I had gotten this job at Vanderbilt working as the computer operator, working a big computer that was the size of this house I'm in now and not as powerful as the 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 the, mach, the machine that I put in my pocket and <laughs> and talked to my grandkids on. So Buzz knew I didn't have any furniture. He gave me a cot. Now there are little gifts you can give in your life that may not seem like much. He gave me a cot to sleep on so I did not have to sleep on the floor. One of the greatest acts of kindness I ever knew and I'll always be grateful to him for that. These are people that, that you know at certain points in your life and they're the forks in the road that you take, not knowing if there's the one less traveled by that will lead you to where you're supposed to be or not. And I've been so fortunate to have people like Buzz Rabin and Bob McDill and Jim Rushing and Paul Kraft, all these people who are great songwriters, take a little interest in, in me as a developing writer and the more I emulated them and the uh, other people along the way, Dave Loggins, and, you know, as in, I, I was kind of in the post Christopherson class of the people that got here after Christopherson had hit. So there were people like Guy Clark and Rodney Crowell and Townsend's and Steve Earl and, and people that got here afterwards. And we tried to write songs maybe a different way. And that's all in retrospect. There were great songs written before us and there will be great there have been great songs written after our heydays but uh i i i made it here in the at a wonderful time and sure enough about three years later i'm in mcdill's office telling him that i was a little blocked i guess i was 23 years old and uh, he says well why don't you try this and he shows me an open tuning on guitar and i hear this open tuning on guitar and it's uh I don't have an open-tuned guitar. Well, I do over here. Hold on a second. Um, and I, I hear this open-tuning, and I've only recently figured this out, Paul, that... And you hear that, and he just showed me a, the three chords that I could play. And if you listen to that, I had never heard anything that simple. I 
I leave MacDill's office, it's August of 1976, and I'm walking to my one-room apartment over on Fairfax Avenue, and I started making up a song, which started with one singular line, on a warm summer's evening, on a train bound for nowhere. Oh, and by this time, I have written so many probably young songs and watched so many wonderful writers do what they did and that I could never, never quite effectively copy that I knew there needed to be characters. I knew there needed to be action. I knew there eventually would have to be a course. And I made up this whole song. I had never been on a train, Paul, at the time. But the train that I was on was that open tuning. On a warm summer's evening, on a train bound for nowhere, I met up with a gambler who we were both too tired to sleep. And that's the train. That's where the train came from. I don't think I'd ever had whiskey at the time. <laughs> I smoked. I uh, did have a vice. I'm not a Puritan. And that's where that came from. And it only took a, a that led me through uh, some of the other friendships that I had developed, had been fortunate enough to, to be given. And uh, that was the first song I ever had recorded. A fellow named Bobby Bear recorded it. He said, let me hang out at his office. And a lot of songwriters he would let hang out in his office. Paul Kraft published it. Jim Rushing started singing it around town. Oh, my goodness. Miracles happen. And... Only two years later, it was recorded by Kenny Rogers. He knew how to sing it. It matched up with his voice and his persona. And that opened the door for me to eventually learn how to go to work and write songs. That's just incredible. You got to stop talking so much, Paul. <laughs> that, wow. The first song recorded, that's just something. It doesn't yeah. happen very often, does it? I'm, I'm not sure if I agree with that. I think a lot of times the first song you have recorded kicks kicks the door in for you. Yeah. It's what you do after that. Hmm. That, 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 because I went through a time where, like, oh, this is easy. This is going to happen with every song that gets, it didn't happen. I, and I did have a, a few songs recorded. I, a wonderful producer named Ron Chancey had a, a, a classic, you know, Hall of Fame singers that picked up a couple of my songs right away. The songs were called I Can't Imagine Laying Down With Anyone But You, a nice short title, and Another Dream Just Came True that I'd written by myself. And Ron Chancey cut them on The Oak Ridge Boys. Now, The Oak Ridge Boys had another song on that wonderful album called Elvira. And so suddenly I had two songs on a monster hit album and I'm thinking, oh, this is easy. This is how it's going to be. And it wasn't. I had to learn to go to work. Now, the key person that comes in there is David Loggins. Now, Dave Loggins had had a big hit with Please Come to Boston, one of the finest songs ever and one of the best singers ever to set foot in Nashville. And Loggins and I got to be friends and he said, hey, Schlitz, I figured out how to do this and how to do this to Dave meant going to work and actually sitting down and writing a song, whether you had an idea or not. And he taught me how to co-write, how to work with someone. And, uh, and we wrote a bunch of good songs. And a couple of years later, I started getting some of those songs recorded. 
you've had some some great co-writers, as you just mentioned, Dave Loggins. Yep. Who would you say has taught you the most that you've worked with? Every one of them. Yeah? I would not limit it to the co-writers I've written with or the writers that I've studied down the line. Uh, you, you can always look at Holland Dozier Holland uh, going back to, to growing up in Durham and hearing all those wonderful Motown records and the and the Stax records that were played on the same radio station. We didn't know that that we should listen to everything on the same station. And then the people who were writing in Nashville, Tom T. Hall, Felice and Boudreau, uh Bryant, the, these are songs I grew up listening to. And then, of course, Paul and John and Mick and Keith. And, you know, and that that Dylan guy, hopefully I absorbed all of it, tried to imitate it all and could not copy any of it. And that was very fortunate because then I was able to find my own voice, I hope. I think one of my favorite songs of yours would have to be the greatest. Seems like Kenny Rogers has had good luck with your songs. He has. He, he's been very kind uh, and very loyal. He uh, actually uh, only recorded three or four of my songs along the way, but he uh, he did. Uh, he always gave me uh, good credit, and he's said some very nice things about me. There, there's a difference between your friends and your business friends, and a lot of your business friends are the people you know at work. Now, there's no way on earth that I would uh, be able to hang out with Kenny or Randy Travis or Mary Chapin, these people are out working. They're doing another part of the job that I don't have the the, the talents to do. And, of course, uh, that particular song, that's an old, old story. And I was able to rhyme it, sing it, and Kenny was able to, to pass it along. It's, it's great to have stories that I always thought that stories could uh, that had hope in them were the ones worth retelling. I've come to believe at this point in my life that sometimes a sad song, and I've written a few of those, can have the hope that's given when someone who hears the song realizes they're not the only one that feels that way and that we're all in this together and they're universal feelings. Sometimes when you find the uh, the saddest part of, uh, of what you're going through and you think it's all personal and private and you're able to find a way to express it, then you've hit upon a universal emotion, a universal life condition. And that's the job of, of a good lyric writer is to, to be honest and to, uh, what's the, the, uh, the great saying is that the, the old philosopher, the Greek philosopher said the unexamined life is not worth living. So, you know, you examine your life and you think about, it. you spend a lot of time by yourself and, and, uh, I still do, always have. Enjoy that, you know. I have I have my wonderful family to be with, and I have a lot of free time. And it gets the lawn mowed, the recycling done, the trash taken out, and the dishwashing and the laundry. And so, you know, it all kind of works in a circle. Is there a version of one of your songs that surprised you when you heard the version that the artist recorded? Very few didn't surprise me. Huh. What these people who record songs and make records and the way the musicians add to the, the, the basics, the way that producers can figure out exactly what to keep 
and what not to keep in the way that engineers, the unsung heroes here, know how to properly set levels. And, you know, Kenny Rogers, for example, and I've heard him talk about this, uh, would take songs of sad songs or negative songs or, or somewhat controversial subjects and make them up tempo. Ruby, don't take your love to town, the great Mel Tillis song. And so and he would, he would uh, oh my goodness, the song that I really think was a song that started the neo-traditional country music genre, which I'm given part of of the uh, <laughs> the 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 credit with Paul Overstreet with with being part of the starters of uh, of that with Randy Travis with on the other hand I I think you should go back and look listen to Lucille because there you go I think uh, that Randy Travis uh, the great records of on the other hand deeper in the holler forever and ever they really owe a tip of the hat. To, uh, to Kenny and, and Lucille, as well as uh, Keith Whitley with When You Say Nothing At All that, that Overstreet and I uh, wrote. It's a wonderful thing about country music. You can have what you think are a lot of different types of music, but there's got to be a core there. I think the core is the storytelling, is the honest storytelling. And that's what I've uh, endeavored to learn about in retrospect, because, Paul, as you know, a lot of what you learn in life is what you figure out after it's happened. And you might have been part of it or you might have said, oh, I wish I'd been part of it. And then you learn about it. So it's, it's amazing to uh, to be at this point in life where I can take some time and, and look at what's happened in retrospect. Let me tell you something that's also been exciting to do that's helped with that is I've uh, a couple of men, Adam Englehart and, and Glenn Duncan, convinced me that I should uh, sing, a, uh, should make a bluegrass record or make some bluegrass records. And I said, you know, you've got all these songs, and if you listen to all these songs that you had, and how many songs you have that weren't cut that you sing, oh, I've got 1,200, okay, well, let's go through them. I'm going like, well, they're not all great, but there, you know, uh, but there's some songs there that I thought should have been recorded or that I'm very fond of singing. And they said, you know what? If you change the the uh, musicianship a little bit on it and who's playing and, and what instrument, the instrumentation, then you are a flat dab in the middle of, of where bluegrass music, one of the, the, the areas that bluegrass music is, 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 is uh, in right now. And so I'm like, okay. So we've been working on a bluegrass album. Uh, we have our first single out now. It's called uh, Bad Decisions. Uh, and we're finishing up an album. By the time that you hear this, it might already be out. It'll be out in the latter part of 2019 called Mountaintop. And there are three or four songs that are will be familiar to uh, people who've listened to country radio. They may not be familiar with me because I lived in the parentheses. Now, it's such a safe place to live. And that was, you know, that's that's where my job description landed me. Thank goodness. Uh, and now going out front and getting to play with these wonderful musicians. Uh, and But it's not really like writing different songs anymore. And even though I thought I was going to just, the retirement thing is not working for me. But, you know, if you listen to the chorus of like Bad Decisions, which is bad decisions make good stories, good stories 
Get your wild women. Wild women cause bad decisions, and bad decisions make good stories. And we go into a chorus like that, <laughs> and I would have, and I'm, I'm, I'm quite happy and open to say that. Well, there's some Tom T. Hall coming out. <laughs> there's, there's a, there's some Bob McDill coming out there. That, that's, that's. And I, I think I wrote that while I was walking again, you know, except not just in my head this time, but I've got my little telephone with me and I'm writing down lyrics and then I make up little stories to go along. It's not a very long song. Uh, you can go stream it on wherever you like to stream music or, or the Paul Leslie podcast and hear what I'm doing now. A lot of the, you know, I will give you a, a spoiler that, yeah, we, we did the gambler on this record and it's different and i i it makes me smile when i'm thinking about it i'm thinking hmm so that's campfire gambler we've done campfire gambler and how lucky am i to be able to do that at this time to play with these musicians and to uh, still stand up in front of people you know play a couple places i play the bluebird cafe at least once a month have a great time been doing that forever and uh Play this little show they have in Nashville that's on the radio called the Grand Ole Opry. And I'm a frequent guest. Not a member, but I'm a frequent guest and have a great time meeting and knowing all these heroes and getting to play on the Opry stages. I have to say the the cover art for the the single that you the the song you were just playing, that could be a great t shirt. It's a flow chart. <laughs> it's great. It's a flow chart. I mean, you've got to go. you got to go look this song up just to see the flow chart. It is exactly what it is. Thank you very much. And uh, and uh, I, I'm not in the t-shirt business, but maybe somebody is. <laughs> exactly. Are we in, are we up to 1974 yet? I mean, I got here in '73. I'm. I apologize for being so devoid of punctuation. I just keep keep talking. You're very kind. Could you tell your listeners that we're actually looking at each other? Did we mention that? Yes, we are. We are staring eyeball to eyeball on Skype. <laughs> oh my gosh, this is like being there. <laughs> it is. I hope we get a chance to talk again sometime. I think we will. That's. I'm glad to hear it. As I've enjoyed talking to you, you have a great energy when you talk. Let me tell you, I love you saying that. But here's the deal. All right, I am. At heart, an introvert. Me too. And a classic. And so when we finish this, and I know I have a lot of things I have to, to get done today that are on, on deadlines, but my first thing I'm going to do is go and hide under the coffee table. Because <laughs> it's like, oh, I can't believe that 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 we that I talked. Ah, was that okay? Was that okay? I mean, that's what I'll be saying to myself. And Maybe we'll get to talk after uh, we finish this, uh, the Mountaintop album, and you get a chance to, to hear it, and we can talk about it. Absolutely. So any parting words for our listeners until the next time? Be yourself. Read. Tell the truth. Tell the truth to yourself. Be inquisitive. If you want to be a songwriter, write songs. Do not think about the final product of what's going to happen. Process. Process, process, process. If you live your life in process, you'll be living a, a life that will lead somewhere. How's that? That's Is that great. better than know when to hold them? <laughs> 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 and laugh. 
for heaven's sakes, laugh and love. Be nice to people. Be kind. It's DonSchlitz.com. It is. And I'm on, oh, 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 it's social media. I've got to mention that. I'm on Instagram. I had to think of what the word was. And Facebook. And I have a Facebook music page. I think the Facebook music page is where you're going to, there's some, there'll be some links that you can follow to find CDs and uh, bio and all that stuff at DonSchlitz.com. But I, I don't check it every every hour. Try not to. I check it, you know, uh, irregularly. I don't do messages and can't talk to everybody because because you can't, you know. Every once in a while, you, you get a chance to talk to somebody like Paul Leslie, and 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 that works out just fine. But what else did I have to say about that? I find out when people say nice things. I like that. I have a, a, a dear friend that says I should never read the comments. Mm. <laughs> I'm not sure any of us should. <laughs> I'll just assume that the fact that heaven allows me still to be on this earth is all the comment I need. Hmm. Beautiful. Well, Don, what a pleasure. Thank you very much. Thanks, Paul. Hey, everybody, listen to Paul Leslie. He's got a lot of uh, podcasts online. You can learn a lot by listening to the young man. That's very kind. Thank you. All right, sir. Have a great one. Until next time. Until next time. Goodbye.